listening to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. We Chose Play is a new series documenting my family's floor time journey. You can see the preview on YouTube, and you can register to watch the extended trailer for free at affectautism.com play, or just go to wechoseplay.com. With each episode, you'll glean insights, tips, and reflections, what I learned and what I know now that I would tell myself back then along the way. I hope it will support caregivers in their floor time experience. We chose play. We have joy every day. Welcome back. I'm Daria Brown, and this week I have a returning guest, occupational therapist Keith Landhair. He is the founder and director of Little Buddies Pediatric Therapy Incorporated just outside Vancouver, British Columbia. He is a DIR floor time trainer and he's currently a PhD student in the Fielding Graduate School's Infant and Child Development Program that was originally ICDL's PhD program. So welcome back, Keith. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Jerry. And today's topic is about gross motor versus fine motor. And this is a topic that comes up a lot with parents. Um, I hear it all the time, especially when parents get a diagnosis. It's usually when the children are preschool age and they're worried about them being ready for school when they're in kindergarten. And then of course, all the academics, the pressure for academics. And this happened with my own son that I would bring up things that my son can't do, like hold the spoon or, you know, grabs the, the crayon and goes like this and scribbles. And then it was explained to me by our occupational therapist, Maude LaRue, that uh, gross motor comes before fine motor. So I believe Keith is going to enlighten us uh, and get into depth about that. Yes, um, yeah, it's a really nice touch point because Maud LaRue's podcast with you on going slower to go faster is, is some of what we're talking about too. But um, it, it's an often, like as soon as the, some of the gross motor skills are coming on, on online, it's often like a behavioral consultant or a grandparent who says, yeah, but what about the spoon? Or yeah, I saw him kick the ball, but now, you know, so now we know he can kick but we're not really looking at the quality uh, of, of that. Some of it is the quality of, of the gross motor function as well. So it's not just that you can run really fast. It's, um, well, I think some of it is like, how do you do that while you're being social? Like, so how do you, how does your gross motor work? And are you able, to, is it integrated enough that you can actually be social while engaging in the gross motor play or the gross motor activity with, you know, just gross motor play really is what we're talking about. Um, and what does that look like? And then how do we figure out what might be um, needing more scaffolding so that we can do that and, and allow the child to continue developing that before we sit them at a desk and say, okay, now we're going to, um, practice holding the pen correctly um, because the fine motor function will, will mirror the gross motor function and that's what's supposed to come online first other than you know putting your fingers in your mouth or trying to to um, be fed by your by your mother yeah. and it, it's a good follow-up 
to the podcast with Jackie Bartel and Sanjay Kumar about gross motor to fine motor when I gave the example of my son playing with big blocks in the sensory gym to, you know, six, seven years later playing with Lego, putting the blocks together, which is more fine motor. Right. And I, I think for OTs, they, they, the, the issue becomes that they, they send, uh, often they're told to bring their child to OT for fine motor function. And then when they don't feel like that's being specifically addressed because we're working on some of the underlying issues, then how do you help the parent understand what you're trying to do so that you have that, that leeway to help the child in that way? Because um, sometimes it's just the, how, the <clears throat> sorry, the ability for us to translate that for the parents so that it's more digestible um, because I, you know, often forget how, how long my journey has been and in getting all of these little bits on online for myself and then how do we explain it to them um, so that they can feel secure in, in what we're trying to offer. Because again, you know, that whole co-regulation piece, if they don't feel secure in what we're doing, then it has, it takes up less, uh, it takes up less bandwidth in their head. And, and, and so how do we bridge that so that, so that they can understand it and then help scaffold the child in the same, some of the same ways. And, and I'll put a link in the blog post referring back to the podcast I did with Keith. Uh, co-regulation is the driver for sensory integration. So um, be sure to listen to that if you haven't already. And right now I'm putting up some slides that Keith prepared to discuss this topic. And he's going to walk us through an example of an interaction with a client on this topic. With this particular family, um, it was nice because it was a, it played out really quite nicely um, in terms of it being just a question that they had, and then us working through the, some of their understanding of what we were really talking about. And and so it it's great because like this this family sees <clears throat> that that what we've been doing has been really helpful for them. Um, and for this boy, I, I love the way he says it too. The gross motor stuff is looking pretty good. We're wondering if it makes sense to start working on some more fine motor stuff. Um, and, you know, and to be fair, I mean, it was a great cue for me to, to make sure that I was doing that part and trying to see any opportunity to do that. But we were, it also allowed us to just explain that we were already doing some of this. Um, and, you know, so he told me like some of the things like, so his, the, the behavioral consultant has been working on having him hold a, a, a pen well. And, um, you know, it's, it's a great skill. I, but I think if it doesn't come from the ground up and it's not that somatosensory uh, learning experience, then it, it doesn't, it, it's not really going to be that useful for him. Um, I think it's probably useful for about 10% of the kids or that, that we see because they, 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 their somatosensory learning is 
is challenged. And I think that when we put something, impose some, some sort of movement on top of just what natural, their natural development should look like, that I believe we're causing some metasensory confusion, right? And, and that's not good for any of us. And um, but I think when I was explaining it to one of the people that works with me, I was like, well, just imagine like, you know, I'm, I'm grabbing my coffee and you're trying to show me how to grab the coffee. And, you know, and of course as adults, we say coffee. And if you love coffee, you're like, don't mess with my coffee. But the, you know, to take it back to the child, you're kind of messing with their coffee. Like, and you're, but it's more than that. Cause you're, you're, you're just creating this confusion for a somatosensory system that is confused to, or is experiencing a lot of confusion and lack of integration. Because if we substitute the word integration for with confusion, we're we're looking at the same child. Now, can you explain a little bit what you mean by somatosensory? I I can try. Um, I mean, it, in some ways, we're talking about bottom up learning. And and so how do you how do you um, perceive the input that's coming from all of the sensors that you have in your body, and and then how is your brain making sense of that and organizing it so that it can be of use later? And so I guess like if we look at the next slide, the this is the scientific way of looking at what we're talking about. So it's the so the somatosensory information is like the input, right? And so um, for some of this is like, look at the way it's supposed to look for with somebody who's within that, you know, middle of the bell curve. So for those listening on audio, we're showing a slide. It's a diagram that shows from the bottom with arrows going up from environment to input sampling, to sensory input, to neural encoding, <laughs> to perception um, and and Keith's gonna be talking about this slide. It's titled The Action Perception Loop in Active Efficient Coding. It's from, it's actually, from, it's from the uh, National Academy of Sciences, the USA. We, we know that our, the kids that, that we work with are the kids on the spectrum or who are neurologically not in the middle of the bell curve. They're trying to take information from the environment and then some of this input is sampled. And, and so I think what the, that is also talking about is like, how are you using your other senses to fact check the information? And, you know, and, and so you're taking that in, you have that, that is what becomes sensory, your sensory input and how your brain has made sense of it. You're, you're encoding this information and that becomes your perception. And then you have that efficient coding and that allows you to start having a, a selecting a better motor action. That's, a, I mean, it's a lot of information and I'm, I'm sure I, I could um, try to explain it in a different way if I took better notes. Uh, but in some ways I kind of want to have everybody take a deep breath and kind of forget that in some ways. And then if we go to the next slide, we can start to see more of what the conversation was. And so I said, great, I'm going to look at, <clears throat> I'm going to look at this and you're right, his, his gross motor is looking better. 
um, and and then talking about what I'm really looking for as I'm playing with him and and how I'm trying to scaffold so that I can get more asymmetrical responses to his movement so that we know that that lateralization and that crossing midline is starting to happen for him. And and, and for, for parents that aren't familiar with that um, and, or listening on audio, Keith has his arms in front of him and he's swaying the arms across him to one side and across to the other side and crossing the midline is if you think about the old patty cake game like patty cake patty cake, where you're slapping yeah. high 10 high yeah. five but then you're switching opposite sides opposite sides crossing your arm across the midline of your body to the other side is something that kids struggle with and including my son had a lot of struggles with that so that's something that occupational therapists work on yeah and and so 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 and and the biggest takeaway is like how does he move and look more comfortable like how have we scaffolded and and work let him work on it from the bottom up so that he's feeling it giving him the time that he needs to try to sense and process and perceive what he's feeling in his body so that it's accurate enough for him to feel more comfortable like that's a really amazing goal like and it's a soft goal and it's one that you know uh your high your principal might hate but it's a really <laughs> uh pretty important goal and um and so for this boy what we what i saw with him this week was we were like in a hammock swing and we're going side to side with him and if you think about that even though he's not moving um so I know that this boy also has like a little bit of visual processing issue that's going on. And so he's just going side to side and I'm moving my hands back and forth. But what he, so what he's doing is like the, the hammock is pressing up against one side, we move to the other way, it's pressing up against the other side and it's in a, a lycra and it makes you feel secure and he was just staring up at the ceiling and doing this until he looked like he was almost ready to fall asleep which was telling me that in some ways he needed to come out of the swing he wasn't dizzy or anything like that but we were having uh the effect that we that we were looking for and when he came out he was looking really calm and he moved really slowly and it looked like his perception of everything was just working um, and that he was thinking about the input and, and that even though like traditionally the, the easiest way to explain, um, crossing midline is exactly what you're talking about with patty cake, but in some ways like, you know, weight shifting and going, standing on one leg and then shifting to the other leg, especially when the legs are further apart, then then that midline is going straight down the body and, and we're also getting that gross motor input to provide some of the same effect. Uh, um, and so with him, then the, the really nice thing is that he, he loves numbers. And so we have this nice scale that is a, a, a game and I, I can't remember the name of it. It's one of the hop games. Um, and, and so he was just like practicing balancing things on this, you know, um, traditional balance scale, and just mimicking what we had just had his body do. Oh, right? cool! And so, 
it it was like it was one of those just very kind of cool therapy moments and um and and i could tell that his brain was thinking about or hoping that his brain was thinking about what what the whole experience was like and he looked completely calm and just kind of taking it in um and in some ways like it was interesting because he's he's very reliant on on verbal skills to um and capable to make up for some of the, the the lack of movement that he's experienced in his life. And it was cool because that kind of went away as we saw some of the movement coming on. And so, you know, every child is different and um, it's great that he is able to have such a command of numbers and, and language, but in some ways it was really nice to watch him let that go and for him to just have that body experience and that, you know, kind of uh, somatosensory experience that that we were looking for. And and so like, we're just like, you know, the, the, the slide kind of says some of the same things. Um, and it really is a nice explanation of, because it's based on the science that was in that slide, but it's a, it sounds so much nicer and more digestible. Like just, you know, um, for him to have higher level language conversations that are more spontaneous because some of them can be very scripted, right? And for him to engage in more brief problem solving um, and to and that was something that was already starting to happen. Um, so, but just to cue the parent in that, that that's where he's at and that's how we can scaffold him, right? And, and so being an actor, active mover rather than stopping to process the information while processing the environmental stimuli. And what it really meant with, with this particular guy was that his movement would, when somebody was a fast mover in the environment, he would hunch down almost so that he was ready to fall because he knew that the visual information was affecting his ability to be stable, right? And, and so the, it was like, you know, such a clear um, clue that, and that's how we have to try to be detectives, that he was losing that somatosensory connection, right? And that, that if his, his fear, you know, that he, that, is coming up and he's worried about staying up that he's not really processing it because all he's doing is getting ready to fall to the floor before he gets knocked over that's so, that's so interesting because i i wouldn't have thought that a child being able to process higher level language and have more spontaneous conversations and group problem solving um was related at all to movement <laughs> Right, 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 um, and and some of it is, so some of that too. The movement is like so when we see the lack of ease in the movement, then we know that some of what, what we're engaging in with that child is is, is causing them to lose that somatosensory function, and you know it happens to all of us. Like there's. There's, a, there's kind of no two ways about, about that. Like if we're having a very hectic time, then some of, we're, we're, we're not really thinking about our own, our own bodies. And then, you know, 
if you keep going in that direction, it's like, then you might need to spend a little bit more time in self-care. And I, I know that when I you know, come back from a vacation or a rest that I'm, I'm much more inside of my body than the, the days before I leave. So it, it's but, interesting because, yeah, like, I mean, I think if I'm paraphrasing everything we just talked, you just talked about, it's that the child's taking in all this sensory information and the processing of it, something is going on with the processing of it that's making it harder for them to process it than other kids. And that's why then having to also have higher level language conversations or process other information coming in is difficult because that movement itself is is hard to process. So once they can start to move with more ease, they have those spoons available as uh, Colette Ryan says, uh, the spoons are available to then process the other stuff that's waiting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and it, it you know in a social in a social situation, there's a lot of environmental noise that comes in. A lot of like really nice things, but you know, um, you know, somebody's music is is noise to somebody else. And um, and then how do we when we know the child is interested in another child or interested in the, the adult, how do we scaffold that so that it's more digestible? And sometimes, you know, with this guy saying, saying to the other uh, child who is there, oh, when you move really fast, it's a little bit challenging for him. And this guy liked him so much that he actually slowed down a little bit so that it was a bit easier for him to engage with him. Um, so it's, you know, sometimes explaining to a child who can understand or an adult who can understand it, it, it helps quite a bit. Um, Absolutely. And it helps the, it helps this guy name it too, right? So then he's like, oh, that's what's happening. And, and he starts to think about it and, and maybe thinks of ways that he can figure out that for himself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so like, so it was really about solidifying his skills too, rather than saying, okay, great. He's starting to do better gross motor wise. It's been two months <laughs> and two months, um, you know, in, in, in uh, their neurological history is not a very long time. Um, and so then rather than adding something else that may be, another challenge, then how do we solidify these skills before we expect them to go a little bit higher? Um, yeah, so the parent is sort of rushing ahead saying, I want him to be able to write, I want him to be able to do this. And you're sort of saying, oh, okay, but he's just yeah. starting to get these gross motor skills, let's solidify them before we rush ahead and start giving flooding his system with all these new skills. Yes. And 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 so it's like it it's um, and also just staying on track with the skills that we're working on, mm -hmm. um, and how do that we're making them into something that's much higher level, and then with with that like I you know, I I think that every parent says great we're doing something we're working on something that is is fantastic, um, and and how do we keep working on that rather than but you're not doing this, but you're not doing this. Yes. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think when somebody, 
when I was a, a younger therapist, it was something that happened quite often. Um, and I, I, I have to say it's probably, some of it is that I think I've gotten much better at explaining it as well. Um, and that was one of the reasons why I wanted to share this story because I shared it with the, you know, the staff and they, they thought it was really cool because it, was, it wasn't saying, no, we can't do that, we have to do this. Instead, it was saying, yes, we're doing that. And then, you know, this, this kid loves to play games. So he's working on his fine motor skills as well and his precise reaching and how all of these like, lovely social um, skills that he's working on are, are actually doing the very things that you're, you're looking for. Um, because that precise reaching and, and placing of, of the, the toys are, are helping quite a bit. And then that was another time that we discovered uh, that he had these other uh, visual issues, like, you know, that he would, you know, the, one of the therapists who was, uh, thought that he was cheating because he kept like missing where the, the dots were when he was counting the dots. And I was like, no, he's just, he, he's like, cause it's also not what this kid does anyway, but even if he did, I wouldn't care as long as he's moving his hands. And he, he just kept skipping spots because he didn't see them. Interesting. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And he couldn't figure out where that, where he had played, you know, where he started out and where his eyes were moving to keep the place. And, you know, and then when the, the, cards were in a pile it's this game called funny bunny i don't know if it's on the next slide or not but um the or it might be the last slide yep yep it's here um yeah so so he's working on this game and and you know the 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 cards were all in a mound and the discarded piles of cards were all over the place and so you'd have to really look at you know which card was the top you know the color of the the back of the card and he couldn't find them. So as soon as I, you know, kind of removed them without saying, oh, you're not looking in the right place, he was able to do it again. And, you know, and saying to, you know, the other, the other therapist with, who was with me, it's like, that's more important that we just figured that out than telling him that because he, he's, he's really sensitive to when he knows because he has an awareness. I think all the kids have an awareness of when they're trying to do something and they can't um, organize themselves to to give us the output we're looking for. And and so rather than getting him anxious about it, the, him just playing, continuing to play, and for us to just know how to scaffold that for him is way more important than him looking at that. And 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 kind of in some ways, pushing the skill too much like because even visually like we'd be pushing the skill too hard you know like all right i know you can barely count how many how many spaces there are on the board and then on top of it i'm telling you you do all of that too and instead just taking it away um and just continuing to just count in the in you know when we're counting and taking our turn to do it correctly without calling attention to it um, and and it, giving giving that information then to the parent and saying 
well, no, we should just, you know, show him how to organize it because then he might ask us to clean up the piles because he knows that he can't, he can't manage it in that other way. Um, that's way more important than him us stopping everything to have him work on his figure ground and scanning skills. Um, so, yeah. So that that makes me uh, think of a question I have then about my son. He has totally been obsessed with Mario Kart in the last couple of years since the pandemic. And so we have the game of life board game. It's Super Mario game of life. And he oh, loves yeah. it. And we play it every single night before bed. And he'll he'll turn the dial, which is like the dice in this game, and it, it has a number between one and ten. And then he he will go to move his character and he'll go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and like he's not counting space for space. And we say, whoa, 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 let's see you do that again. And if we slow it down, he can do it. But it's it's happened so many times now. We've had this game for so many months, and he still just keeps doing that. Do you think it could be a visual thing? It it, it could be. Um, I mean, I I think you 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 might you might try doing this like walking with his fingers across the board, um, and and then moving the person just because that that point will will narrow and and direct his visual. Uh, feel to to where his fingers are and give him that same feedback. I have said that I said let's count like one and then all point on the squares and then then I did sort of a hand over hand with him pointing on the squares and then I asked him to do point on the squares but he really like every time tries to rush and skip. <laughs> yeah. And and I don't think yeah. he's trying to rush and skip but maybe he's just it's hard for him. Yeah. It is, it is hard for him. Yeah, I, I mean, that that's one of the reasons why I like the walking too. So like moving like, his fingers like they're walking. Yeah, Yeah, because uh, if you're just pointing in some ways, that's a redundant movement. Whereas if you're trying to walk with your 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 index finger and your middle finger, then then that'll give you more novel and it's a nice sequencing activity as well. Um, and it gets you closer because because you're use, you're at midline of your hand, so it's kind of working on that same skill. Because your midline of your hand will, um, it also mimics your your midline of your body. Well, I am totally trying that tonight. I'll keep you posted <laughs> on how it goes. <laughs> so I'm just uh, and, and flipping to the last slide here uh, uh, for those listening on audio, yeah. which is is a it's just a text version of his conversation with the parent. And, and it was great because like, uh, you know, it's like sometimes we, we send these messages to families and we're not sure of what the response is going to be. And so, you know, it was great because he just said that he liked the context of what we were doing. And it was just a nice, you know, giving him the information he needed to feel confident in what we were doing. Um, and I really liked that he said my eyes are opening to the vastness of what you were thinking about with our son. And, and I think if that isn't floor time, I don't know what is, right? If like him saying that this, that he knew that, well, what I'm really doing is explaining the model of, of how we were looking at his child. And, and it's just, you know, pretty awesome. It's just, it was, uh, it was a 
a really nice gift that I got back for taking the risk of saying, yeah, well, you, I'm not quite sure. I'm just going to do what you're asking me to do right away. Um, I'm going to do it slightly differently. And I hear what you're saying. And, and, but it was a, a nice, pleasant conversation. Whereas I think we, we often go like, oh, he's not ready for that. And instead it's like, yeah, I think that's really important. And this is how we're going to work on that. And, and for, for dad to come back and say, I, I get what you're doing. And, um, yeah, there's nothing more. It's great. And, um, you know, it's the equivalent of parents who may think, and, and, you know, we say stories like people watch floor time and they think, oh, you're not doing anything. You're just playing with the child. And this is kind of the OT equivalent of that. It's like, yes. oh, you're not working on fine motor. Actually, we are. We're working on all the stuff that comes prior to require the foundation for fine motor. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think like the, the, if, if the parents like take anything from this is uh, how, how comfortable does your child look moving and when they feel comfortable moving, then in some ways you're taking the next step and, and we can scaffold them and, and provide different environmental changes to see what is helping with that. And if it's not, then taking a step back. And often when you take a step back and tell the, you know, kind of say, oh, we're not going to do that. The kid goes and finds it themselves anyway and says, I'm going to try it out on my own terms and I'm going to figure it out. And, and I get why you did that. And that's fantastic. But and one like, thing I forgot to ask how old the child was that you were talking about here. Uh, approximately a very tall, a very tall four. Oh, so quite young. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But very, um, has the math skills of probably a eight or nine year old. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, speaking of movement, I've definitely noticed more fluidity in my son's movement as he's grown and he's over 12 and a half now. Um, but I do notice one thing and just made me think of this to ask you while we're, while we're talking, um, when he walks, he'll walk and then he'll do this weird sort of tick where he sort of shifts to the side and like sort of moves one knee up, like just a centimeter or so. Like he does this weird yeah. tick while he walks. Like, what would that be about? Well, I, I mean, I think it's like, um, it, it can be. Uh, more of a fixing behavior like if if you're you know it has I think some of it has to do with the how how secure his gross motor midline function is right and so we're looking at that leg part and that he he's trying to make sure that he doesn't get this brain doesn't forget to pay attention and making this meadows and sensory input slightly different and he knows that that kind of works for him. That's what I, that's how I would interpret that. And so in some ways, like just kind of plug going with it and doing kind of funny walks with him would be a, a good way to go. Um, and, you know, in just in some ways, it, I, I don't know, it's like just be, being okay with that's what it is. Because um, I mean, it looks like a tick and I, I guess I, I'm not, I'm not sure it's truly a tick. Right, right.
so I have an idea for tonight then is when later we'll play this game like, oh, we're going to do the fun Mario characters game. I'm going to walk like Bowser. Oh, oh, and I'm this big burly monster and get him to walk like that. And then, oh, now we're going to walk like Princess Peach, who sort of flutters above the air with her long dress and let's sort of walk, you know, dainty and take little steps maybe up on our toes. And now we're going to walk like Toad or Toadette. And those are like the little mushroom people who, you know, are short and stout. And maybe we just sort of walk along. I don't know, like that kind of thing, like just get him moving and walking. Sounds perfect. Sounds, oh, that's, sounds absolutely perfect. That's interesting. And I know his OT at his school is working on midline stuff all the time. So he's getting that um, that good input. Or And my mine has gotten better because I do this work with kids or I I, th I think it's it's something we all could work on every once in a while. And I think it's certainly why people like yoga so much. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, this was great. Thank you so much for the information. I hope uh, parents are clued in a little bit more. And, and you know, if you do have a, a really good sensory integration occupational therapist, hopefully a floor time one, uh, they can really explain all of this stuff to you and, and why they do what they do and, and all of the foundation for the skills, uh, the movement skills that our kids um, really, really need to have to help them get into all the, the higher order functionings that they need to succeed in academia and all these other things that, that happen in the world. So um, thanks very much, Keith. Thanks, Terry. Until next time, here's to choosing play and experiencing joy every day. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. Do you know that you can find all of my podcasts at the Start Here menu at affectautism.com? They're sorted by topic and linked to the blog posts associated with each one. Under the Events tab, you can sign up for the free weekly ICDL Parent Online Floor Time Support Group that I facilitate. There's also many resources, such as the relevant books under the Books menu and numerous resources under the Resources menu. You can also become a member for bonuses, including access to floor time videos, the new We Chose Play series documenting my family's floor time journey, and my weekly insights from each podcast that dive in a bit deeper into each topic. I hope you'll check it out all at affectautism.com where affect is the number one tool in supporting child development through playful interactions.